Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now you know me, Justin. I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently. So that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Wayne Lineker to my Gary Lineker. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. What a big old farce that has been, eh, Justin? Uh, it's bonkers, isn't it? Absolutely bonkers. Pretty, quite ridiculous, really, and completely blown out of proportion, which is absolutely typical of the uh, the situation. I say blown out of proportion. I, yeah, I do side with one side, particularly. Well, it's been blown out of proportion by one side in particular, yeah. which in this case, let's be honest, is whoever's in charge of match of the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, how someone could have ballsed up this badly and got it so catastrophically wrong in thinking this is what the public wants, I have no idea. Well, it's not what the public wants, it's what the uh, that's what the current government wants, that's what they're answering to, isn't it? It's, uh, it's a messy old situation. I mean, you try and keep politics out of this, but when it starts to infiltrate football, no, 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 no. Have you watched a match of the day last night? I didn't. I watched. I saw a clip of the GB News version, and um, oh, no, don't was, even give that any air. That no, was that, was, that was just pathetic. Absolutely pathetic. It was. It was. It was a really bad attempt at humour. And who, who's the presenter in that called again? Oh, I Something can't Dolan. His, I can't remember his, head, his first name. His head's receding quicker than ours. I can say that. Well, he used to do a program called Balls of Steel. I think it's Mark Dolan. And that was an exceptional piece of television. And now it's completely tainted, in my view, by 
that little twerp doing his pathetic match of the day sketch, mm. which was just abysmally bad. Uh, but back on the match of the day thing, basically what they did was essentially YouTube highlights of every game just back to back. Yeah, it was pretty pathetic. And considering they pay millions and millions and millions of pounds for the rights to these highlights, I mean, firstly, it's a waste of taxpayers' money. Well, not taxpayers' money, but TV license money. Um, but also just you know, a waste of everyone's Saturday nights. People look forward to match of the day. It's, even if you don't watch it on Saturday night, you record it and you watch it the next day. I, I don't tune in to watch the highlights because I can do that wherever, which is why a lot of the MPs that are saying, oh, is this better? Well, you can just do that on YouTube. You can just watch them on YouTube. Um, but I tune, in, I tune in for the analysis. The MPs who say that it's better, I feel like a <laughs> particularly politically biased mm. in this kind of situation because this whole farce is a big indictment of where this country's at with how out of touch the government is with uh, normal people, I'm afraid. But there we go. Shall we talk about championship football, Justin? Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, let's focus on a league where you'll have some actual analysis on it. Uh, what we're going to do is go through all the matches from the weekend in the championship. Plenty of big results, Justin, as we head towards the business end of the season. It's not yet time to ring that bell, but it's near. Uh, it's nearby, definitely. Uh, we'll also talk about some of the news from the past few days, including what the hell's going on at Wigan. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grayson take for eight right at the end. So we'll kick things off with Sheffield United nil, Luton Town one. Carlton Morris with the only goal of the game. Another underwhelming showing from Sheffield United, which we're starting to become quite accustomed to. Whereas it was a battling Luton performance, which we're also very accustomed to. Well, I think this game went exactly how I expected it to. It was a tactical game. It was close fought. It was tight. It wasn't um, an easy outcome uh, to decipher, but Luton edged it because I think they're in a much better position at the moment in terms of form, in terms of consistency. And you know, that's what I said in the preview, and, and this, is exactly, this is exactly what happened. Um, Luton edged it because they've got the ability to do that in games at the moment, whereas Sheffield United are a bit... Uh, scatty with their performances they're, they're high one week they're low uh, the other it's disappointing from their perspective and as I say they've got a striker in Cotton Morris Luton have who's banging form and if you give him one chance he's going to take it whereas Sheffield United don't have that at the moment well before Sheffield United would have took this type of game at home dominated the opposition be willing to take risks and ultimately just overwhelm the overwhelm the opposition with mm. attack after attack no matter who it was now they don't do that. Here, they looked low on confidence. They didn't take any risks and ultimately let Luton take the game to them. It's now four losses in six league games prior to this run. They've only lost five all season. Justin, you've been saying confidently that Sheffield United will get automatic promotion over the line. Are you still standing by that? I would like to think I am. I would like to still think I'm committed to that cause, but the performances or the inconsistency of the performances is, is starting to concern me a hell of a lot. Um, if I look at the defending for the Luton goal, for example, it was so poor. John Fleck was easily uh, bypassed by Adebayo. Um and no one is sweeping the space in behind Fleck. It was really passive. It was just disappointing, really poor. And I think throughout the game as well, they lost composure. They lost their cool. You look at the Billy Sharp incident, for example. It doesn't happen earlier on in the season because there's control amongst how Sheffield United are playing. 
it just reeks of desperation it reeks of frustration um and with that it comes this inconsistency as well it's something they need to regain control of um because otherwise they are going to drop out of that top two and if you look again, if you look compare it to earlier on in the season, they had less players available to them. They had a smaller squad because of their injuries, and they were much better off. So the question is, what's the issue now? Um, I know they still have injuries, but as I say, they've got more players at their disposal. So what's the problem? So you still think they're going up top two? I'm teetering towards Middlesbrough being in a much better position. I'm still going to commit to Sheffield United going up, but I'm much more on the. Yeah, I'm much further towards the, uh, the boundary of yeah Middlesbrough going in, uh, getting into the top two. I'm amazed that you still think Sheffield United are the more likely out of the two, considering one team is banging form, the other one is clearly not. I see, when I see these two teams, I see them every week, Justin. I see two very different sides in how well they're playing right now. I still think there's just a lot of games to play. And there's a lot of time for Sheffield United to turn it around. And they've got a good squad. They've got good players. They've got a lot of experience as well. It just seems like it's 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 too much of a cock-up for them. That being said, Middlesbrough, you know, it just feels like the stars are aligning for Middlesbrough. Where for Sheffield United, the inconsistency since the turn of the year has been, it's been bad. It's been really bad. It's not just results, it's performances as well. Um, so they need to find a standard uh, and, and keep to that standard. But if they don't, Middlesbrough are going to overtake them. Well, it's gone from 14-point gap to a four-point gap. And that that four-point gap has you know, been going back to a seven-point mm. gap for the last couple of weeks. Now, it seems like this may be it. This We may actually be seeing the point where Sheffield United and Middlesbrough clash heads in a, how far away they are in terms of points. One thing I will say is, I find it ridiculous that some fans are calling for Paul Heckingbottom to be sacked. Yes, Sheffield United have been playing poorly for a while now. Yes, it's looking increasingly likely that they may not finish in the top two. But let's get some perspective. Only Burnley have won more games than them this season. They've lost five from the last 21 games. He's got potentially team of the season showings from Anil Hakmahodzic, Oli Norwood, Sander Berger, Ilman Ndiaye, Oli McBurney. If this season Sheffield United was sat in the playoffs and finished comfortably in the top six, most fans would have taken that at the start of the season, wouldn't they? I can understand the frustration now, but that's all because of the incredible standards set by Paul Heckingbottom himself this season. Keep in mind as well, before he came in, they had Slavisa Jukanovic and they were stinking out the joint. Things could be a lot worse, guys. You've got to respect what Heckingbottom has done with this team and it would be a foolish decision to get rid of him. But Luton Town just impeach. Only Burnley and Middlesbrough have won more games than them since Christmas. They've won the most points away from home in the whole of the Championship now and a fourth in the table. What a club, Justin. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unreal, isn't it? It's... Um... I think the the question I have about Luton is is how much of an impact is Rob Edwards having, um, and it's not a criticism of him. I'm just intrigued to know you know is this still the hangover from Nathan Jones? Obviously, it's his squad. Um, there are elements of him still in there as well. So how much of it is Rob Edwards? And um, that being said, he deserves a hell of a lot of praise because they've just taken themselves to a different gear. I think almost the same gear, but a slightly different, um, like a slightly different joint on it. Um, they, you know, I look at this game for example. They know how to mix their game up. They can dominate teams. They can stretch the play. They can 
getting behind opposition fairly easily by playing intricate passing patterns in the final third and they can also be defensive and disciplined like they were in this game this is almost how you want Sheffield United to be on a more consistent basis weirdly um but as I say Luton set the blueprint for how you play against a top side here they defended well they they limited Sheffield United to I think that McBurney had a good chance towards the end of the game um with a header and there wasn't really too many big chances Horvath made a pretty standard save as well um, there wasn't too many big chances there for Sheffield United and that's, that comes down to how Luton defended and how disciplined and well structured they were and obviously they, they chose their moments to attack um, it was a brilliant performance and it's just something you come to expect with this Luton side they're one of the best defensive teams in the division I think they're in the top three aren't they so it was it was their bread and butter they they, they, thrive, they thrive in these sorts of games and um, they deserve the three points um, and they deserve to be praised because, as I say, they've taken themselves to a different gear, a different level under Rob Edwards. I'd like to start off by giving a big shout out to everyone who laughed at us for putting <laughs> Luton third in our pre-season predictions. The same goes to those who said Luton would do a Barnsley this season. <clears throat> you have all fallen victim once again to something that supporters have been doing for years now at this level, and that's underestimating Luton Town. Despite all the odds being stacked against them, this club keeps progressing in an upwards trajectory and it's something that they will just keep doing because there's no stopping them. They can keep looking at the table and I wouldn't blame them. They're only seven points off the top two now, so they're only going to keep looking up. Got to say, I don't think they'll finish above Middlesbrough at this point. However, I wouldn't put it out of the question that they finish above Sheffield United the way things are going, even if it's just a playoff place. I say just like it's not a phenomenal achievement. It is a phenomenal achievement. But even even so, even if it's the playoffs for them, only Burnley have lost fewer games than Luton this season. Opposition managers will not want to play Luton if it comes to the playoffs. I just hope they can maintain their form until the end of the season to secure that playoff place and maybe run it as close as possible to the top two because they've deserved it. Middlesbrough, they came from a goal down to beat Swansea 3-1. A poor first half from Borough, who didn't really get going, and Swansea maybe could have scored more. But then Middlesbrough got the goal from a counter-attack, and from that point, always seemed like they would go on and win with the help of some really poor Swansea defending. Pathetic defending, really, wasn't it? It was dreadful, some of the worst you'll see this season. It's quite a common theme for Swansea. Um, I think Borough exploited that quite, quite nicely, I thought. What you expect from Borough is they'll they'll take their their game up a gear. They've got different gears, and you, you you see that in games. You see that in games. I think that's the most intriguing thing about them is they can start poorly, and then all of a sudden they just switch on and they go. Um, I think that's quite the frightening thing under under Michael Carrick. And I think I've said it a, a couple of times in recent weeks. Middlesbrough have been consistent going forwards all season. They just haven't been putting the ball in the back of that until Carrick came in, um, and they've always had that danger. And now the top goal scorer is away from home as well, which is quite staggering really um, and then you're coming up against the Swansea defence who left a lot to be decided they gave you a lot of gave Borough a lot of um, a lot of options uh, and, and Borough exploited that and that's all you can ask for in a, in a team that's gunning for the top two and as I say as I said about Sheffield United it just feels like the stars are aligning with Bundesbrough Yeah it was a brilliant second half performance we're helped by Swansea being 
so bad at the back. We will talk about that a bit more shortly, Justin. Cameron Archer led the line really well for Borough. Hayden Hackney was classy in midfield. The man who really caught my eye, though, was Aaron Ramsey on the left-hand side. The young midfielder on loan from Aston Villa. He was at Norwich in the first half of the season and showed glimpses of being a really good player, but it didn't happen enough, which led to his game time being restricted and him ultimately being recalled and sent to Middlesbrough. At the time, I wasn't too enthused with the signing, but he's been exceptional in the last couple of games. He was causing Swansea all sorts of problems all game with his pace, his creativity, his trickery. He looks a really talented player. And Middlesbrough have gone have gone from being a bit light on the ground with attacking <laughs> players. They're now struggling to fit them all in one squad because they've just got so many players who have hit form at the same time. And it means Michael Carrick can afford to rotate this team, but the form Aaron Ramsey's in, I'm not sure he'll be dropping him anytime soon. Just looking at Middlesbrough's next few games, Justin, there isn't really anyone for them to be fearing. They've got Burnley at home in a few weeks, which is an obvious one, but otherwise, Luton away. If you look at their results right now, it's... Sounds like the start of Thrift Shop by McLemore. And there is, there's a very good chance they could continue picking up Ws until the end of the season. How does that go? I, I, I don't know. That's it's the one that goes, what, 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 what? Uh, so, yeah, get it? Oh, okay, Ws, yeah, okay, that makes yeah. sense. Um, I mean, the Luton one's a sticky one. Obviously, the Burning one's a sticky one as well. But those are the type of games where you that's where you make yourself an automatic promotion contender. So if Middlesbrough can come out of those games with... Without defeats, maybe uh, three points in either one of those games, then that's when you can start to go, actually, right, you are going to overtake Sheffield United. Because as I've said before, they need to have a near-perfect um, yeah, remaining game, remaining remaining games of the season, near-perfect record for the remaining games of the season. Need to, They can't afford to slip up um, if they're going to overtake Sheffield United. So those are the games where they're going to need to make up those points because those are the games where you'd expect them to drop points. Um, so that's where we're going to find out what, what Middlesbrough are made of. But I think in the position that Middlesbrough are in, they're not a team that are going to fear opposition. It's going to be the opposition that are going to fear Middlesbrough. Um, because as I said, their their ability to bounce back from defeats, their ability to just switch on in games, and as you said, the ability to rotate options as well in that final third, it's a scary, scary thing for the rest of the Championship. Um, and again, I said that last weekend, that Middlesbrough in this type of form now... It's just frightening. It's just frightening because they still got gears. I think they still got gears. I don't think they've quite tapped into the potential of the squad, um, which is bonkers. Well, I completely agree. Maybe, maybe not that they've got gears to go. I think they're probably at top gear right now because of the, the fact they just keep winning game after game. I don't see how I can get much better than that, really. But only Wigan have conceded more goals than Swansea this season. Last season, only five teams conceded more goals than Swansea. They've only kept clean three clean sheets since September. I think it's safe to say the defensive side of the game isn't one of Russell Martin's strengths and it's something he needs to work on, whether he's at Swansea next season or not, Justin. It was quite funny um, because Martin said in his post-match presser that if Swansea were 2-0 up, it could have been a different game. Obviously, they had that disallowed goal, Jay Fulton disallowed goal. I would have still been incredibly confident Middlesbrough come out of that game with three points, even if Swansea went 2-0 up. That's more of a compliment to... Middlesbrough than it is to than it is a dig at Swansea, but Swansea's defending is so bad. Their game management is so bad um, that they leave opposition an opportunity to get back into games. They've done it on several occasions this season. I think it was that Millwall game, wasn't it, earlier on um, in the season where they were two 0 up and then it was two two within three minutes of the end of the game. 
Um, and that's sort of felt, you know, feels like that's where he started. Um, but as I say, the defending, I look at that second goal, for example, everybody just stopped uh, the, the decision from Letibo Edier, um for the penalty was, was bad. It just felt like they'd given up. Um, and that's where Swansea, that's where I feel like Swansea are at the moment. They've been punched and punched and punched, and it just feels like they're at, almost at rock bottom. Um, and as you said, defending side of the game needs to improve under Russell Martin because whilst they keep the ball a lot, there's no results to show for it. What's the point in keeping the ball that often if you can't even manage games? Uh, yeah, I'm exasperated. I don't, I don't have anything other to say. It's crap. Yeah, you're not wrong. Mistakes are going to happen, especially in this system when they're trying to play the ball out from the back. I, I can excuse that. They happen quite a lot, but I, I can I, I can accept that mistakes are going to happen when you try to play out from the back as much as Swansea do. But it's a long way off from the Steve Cooper days, isn't it, when Swansea were this exceptional defensive unit. Because some of the defending has been shambolic and they effectively handed Middlesbrough three points on a silver platter just by... It's, this wasn't even passing out from the back. It was just shit defending, wasn't it? Mm. And we've seen that so many times this season. They've got a couple of players like Nathan Wood, for example, who's impressed me on plenty of occasions. But when they're making as many mistakes at the back as they are, then questions have got to be asked of the manager in that case, haven't they? Chris Wilder lost his first game as Watford boss, losing 1-0 away at QPR. It meant a first win for Gareth Ainsworth, who was bloody delighted at the final whistle. You could tell it meant a lot to him here, didn't it? QPR deserved this. They always look the most likely, and considering how out of form uh, of co- and of, out of confidence they've been for that matter, Ainsworth deserves a lot of credit. It, it was actually a very Gareth Ainsworth performance, really, wasn't it? QPR only managed 51% accurate, possa- uh, accurate passes. Sonny Dieng and Rob Dickey were frequently launching it up to the likes of Chris Martin and Lyndon Dykes throughout the game. Poor Andre Dezel in midfield only had 19 touches, and he was on the pitch for 83 minutes. <laughs> so, <laughs> look, the football's not my cup of tea. But I really like Gareth Ainsworth as a bloke. He clearly cares about the club so much and it must have been killing him how badly they were doing. I just hope he gets a lot more wins with them in the long term because as far as genuinely nice football blokes are, he's one of the top of the pile, isn't he? Well, he said he choked up after the game um, or after the final whistle, which just goes to show how much it means to him as well. Um, and yeah, he's a genuine guy. He's a genuine football man as well. Um he doesn't look like it, does he? You know, he's, he's the way he dresses, in my view, doesn't come across that way. But he, he is, he really is. Um, and he, you know, they deserve the three points. It was a big game as well because Watford, they're coming to Loftus Road with a very, very talented squad, so they had to be on it. And to get that first win and a clean sheet as well is, is going to is going to help them a lot. I, you know, it just felt like a massive sense of relief. I think I saw the pictures of the dugout, and I think it was Jordan Archer coming out. Absolutely jubilant of the three points, um, and it's just gonna it's just gonna be a massive big sigh of relief. It's gonna be it's gonna well, what's the phrase? Getting the monkey off the back, isn't it? Psychological thing, um, and it hopefully should help them kick on because not winning for as long as they have, not not seen it too too often at this level. Um, so yeah, it's going to be a massive massive. Um, well, hopefully propel them forwards because that's what they need. Um, they've been out of form for a long time, not getting results. And to be in this position where they're coming away with a clean sheet in three points is, is absolutely huge. Chris Wilder said their desire was a bit more than our desire. That's his take on it. My take is Watford were really flat here. They've been flat for a while under Slavin Bilic, but I didn't see 
any improvement right here. The closest Watford came to scoring was from two free kicks, neither of which particularly troubled Sani Dieng in the QPR goal. Both those free kicks were won by João Pedro, who was once again the only one looking capable of doing anything. But aside from that, there wasn't much else from Watford. Now, maybe I should give Wilder the benefit of the doubt. He's only been at Watford for a matter of days and only had so much time to work with his players. But they only managed two shots on target against a QPR team who had only won once since October. And neither of those shots caused Dieng in the QPR goal any problems. I've got major concerns about how much this Watford squad suits Chris Wilder's style of play, simply because I don't think it does. And this performance only adds fuel to the flame in that regard, because this was a really poor first game for him. Yeah, I've got to give him the benefit of the doubt, because there's been two managers where this Watford squad seemingly doesn't fit their style of play. So whose style of play is it going to fit? I think Chris Wilder is a manager you've got to give him some time to turn, not turn things around, but get things clicking. I think it will come probably too late. I think they'll hit form too late for them to be in the playoffs this season. But for next season, I would consider them to be favourites for automatics, to be honest with you, because with the squad that they've got and with Chris Wilder at the helm, they're going to be in contention. That being said, this game... This game was the sort of perfect sort of scenarios to is to where Watford are at the moment. They're coming up against a team who are low on confidence, who are not in a good place. And if you look at the XG, they didn't create more chances in QPR. Jao Pedro was the only thing was the only person making things happen in in the team, and that's just an indictment of where this Watford squad is at. Not necessarily Chris Wilder, um, and that's yeah, that's the frustrating thing. They'd probably need another transfer window to to bolster, um, and they probably need a a few more players who um, are a bit more industrious than perhaps flair players. That's maybe a bit too too much of a basic of, of, a, of an argument. But if you've got your manager questioning desire, then that's maybe where you need to need to recruit. In probably the most predictable result of the weekend, Burnley won 3-0 at home to Wigan. Wigan weren't helped by being down to 10 men for over an hour, but a very straightforward day at the office for the Clarets. Muir tried to make a few key saves um, after Burnley took the lead. Yeah, Wigan could have equalised. I think Flash had a really good chance. Uh, Muir tried to make another good save as well. Um, that's mainly through Burnley's poor decision making at the back. Um, and then obviously the, the red card sort of swung the game even more in Burnley's favour. Um, so, yeah, whilst it was a bright start by Wigan, it was quickly extinguished by Burnley. Something you'd expect at Turf Moor as well. Um, but Nathan Taylor, what a player. What a player. He's just getting better and better each week. And I think the thing that impresses me most about him is his ability to find space. Both his goals were headers. He's like five foot nine, isn't he? It's incredible. Yeah, why on earth did Southampton let him go out yeah. on loan? A bonkers decision. 14 goals for the season for him now, getting two here. Lau Foster got his first goal in a Burnley shirt. He joined for £6 million in January, and it could be the first of many for him in that regard. Burnley didn't really have to get out of second gear here. It was very easy for them. This possibly isn't the time to highlight this after beating bottom of the league, who were down to 10 men for nearly a third of the game. But Burnley's defence deserves a lot of credit. They've been getting heaps of praise this season for their beautiful football and deadliness in front of goal. And I don't think they've got enough credit for being so solid at the back. They've got the best defensive record in the league and only two teams in championship history have a better goal difference than them at this stage of the season. Now, that may seem like a point in the stat. But what it says to me is this team is excellent at both ends of the pitch. They control and manage games 
brilliantly and starved the opposition of the ball. Taylor Harwood-Bellis and Jordan Bayer were incredible at the back before the former got injured, yet Ekdel's come in seamlessly. Uh, that shield in front of them, Cullen, Cork, Brownhill, whoever it may be, have each been sensational. Ditto with each of the fullbacks they've got as well. And then, of course, Aram Juric in the Burnley goal. He hasn't been the busiest keeper in the world, it's got to be said. But he's done his job when called upon, as we saw against Wigan with that Fletcher chance. He's also excellent with the ball at his feet. So for me, Burnley's defence deserve just as much credit as their attack, because it has really been a a team effort with this side because every single player has just been in top form this season. I don't think anyone was expecting Wigan to pull off any shocks here and that wasn't the case. They're six points from safety but with an impending three-point deduction which we'll talk about shortly in the news Justin. Would that deduction see Wigan as good as relegated in your eyes? I think they're as good as relegated anyway without the points deduction. I just think they've got I just think I just don't think they've got enough going forward to score enough goals to pull them out. They need to pick up um a fair, a fair amount of wins and if they've not done that already this season, if they're not strung together three back to back wins, for example, all season, then you know, when are they gonna do it? Um you look at that Fetcher chance, for example, it's clear that they lack quality in that final third. That's the key thing. They they just lack quality at key moments and um that's when you need your composure and they just don't they just don't have the players to do it. So for me, yeah, even with the points deduction, or sorry, even without the points deduction, I still think they're going down. Carlos Corbran came back to haunt his old club after West Brom beat Huddersfield 1-0. Neil Warnock said before this game that Carlos Corbran must have a great agent to get the West Brom job. What a needless comment to make and completely unfounded as well. It didn't mean much as a John Swift penalty was the difference here. I assume we were agreed this was a penalty, wasn't it? Well, there was, there was debate about it, but it looked like a, an easy one to give. And I think Neil Warnock said it was a penalty. It was a bad decision. Um, I think it was Pearson who gave the foul away, wasn't it? Um, yeah, Neil Warnock agreed with it. And if he's agreeing with it and he's not berating it, then it must be. Yeah, That's interesting then, Justin, because how is that penalty different to the Shane Long one from a few weeks ago, which you were adamant wasn't a penalty? Oh, have a word. I'm not, I'm, I'm not getting drawn into this debate. Tell me how it's different. Because I don't, I don't think uh, who got fouled for the penalty. Can't remember for West Brom. Um, it was Townsend. Townsend. Yeah, I don't think he was looking for the contact. I think he's cut across him. He's cut across him. He's been tripped. And Matty Pearson's on top of him as well. I don't think well, he stuck his arse out like Longhouse, for example. That's exactly what Long did a few weeks ago. But apparently, that's not it's, penalty. Oh but we'll leave God. that there. Uh, double standards. <laughs> I don't think either side can say they played well here. This wasn't. Uh, a one. This wasn't a game for the ages. It's got to be said. West Brom have got back-to-back wins for the first time since January, though. Uh, but they have been against two sides. I will quite confidently say are going to be in League One next season. So I'm not sure that's a corner turns, Justin, just yet. I, I still think we saw some symptoms that they've been suffering with for quite a few games now, where they created a good amount of chances but just failed to take them. Um, but for me, I think they still managed Huddersfield. If you're going to take positives away from the game, they managed Huddersfield. They didn't allow them to create too much. It was a fairly straightforward game for them without it being straightforward, if that makes any sense at all. Um, it's just uh, it's just frustrating that they can't kill the games off or they can't get the goals early enough to, to kill the game off. Um, other than that, it's a win in a clean sheet. I, I, think, I, th- I, think, I don't think Corbrand's conceded at home yet. Or he's not conceded at home since the Sheffield United game. I think that's right. They've kept a lot of clean sheets at home under him, is what I'm trying to say. Okay, right, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's not the first time you would have come out with a stat which was completely unfounded, but uh, <laughs> there you go. Um, Justin, 
I love Neil Warnock. I've got posters of him on my wall and everything. My missus hates it, but she knows what she signed up for. On a more serious note, Huddersfield have been appalling since Warnock came in. He had the first game against Birmingham, but since then, there's been nothing. They haven't scored in the last four. They've had eight shots on target in those four games. They've had an average XG of 0.6 compared to two against from those four games. Now, let's keep in mind, they were appalling before Warnock came in as well. So nothing much has changed yet. Just uh, nothing much has changed there. But this appointment was made in a last ditch attempt to save Huddersfield from relegation. And instead, it seems to be doing the exact opposite. It seems to be condemning them to relegation even sooner than expected. Now, their next five games against sides still aiming for promotion so it's not going to get better anytime soon and this whole thing has been very underwhelming when I thought you know Warnock magic may work wonders it's not happened at all has it no it's almost as if the squad isn't good enough Uh, we knew this we knew this we've said this we got criticized for it we were honest and unfortunately this is the reality of this squad it's not good enough doesn't matter if you've got Neil Warnock Mark Fotheringham even Carlos Corbran I don't think it matters. The squad is not good enough to compete. The squad needed reinvestment after losing some key players. It needed quality loan signings being brought in. Didn't get it. Um, instead, they, they brought in young players from the lower leagues who were not ready to play at this level. And this is what you get. You get a team who are incapable of creating, incapable of scoring, incapable of defending. This is the reality of the situation Oldisford are in. They have a League One squad a mid-table League One squad with a few good players in it. That's it. Simple as. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about Sunderland's win away at Norwich and also Bristol City winning at Blackpool. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast on Sunday afternoon. A brilliant Abdullah Bar goal gave Sunderland a 1-0 win away at Norwich. Fairly even first half and then Norwich kept pushing for the second in the second half. Didn't come particularly close though and I thought Sunderland managed the game brilliantly. Well, this is the least Sunderland game you'd expect from Sunderland in that they just relinquished possession. Um, they, they played on their counter-attack and it was a really good performance, well-managed performance as well. I think one thing they've struggled with is is not having that focal point in that final third. So they've been able to uh, create you know really good attacking patterns. But they did that in this game mainly because I think they're relying on the counter-attacks, which is probably where they need to adapt to this with the likes of Ross Stewart. But yeah, this was a well-managed game from Nor- uh, from Sunderland sorry, um, and, and certainly deserved the win because I don't think Norwich impressed me too much. You look at that defence, 09 was, was, was quality. Uh, Trey Hume was quality again. Ballard, as consistent as ever. It was a really good performance from Sunderland. And I think it was one of those performances where I think Norwich were heavy favourites, but Sunderland get that early goal. Crowd gets uncomfortable, gets edgy, and, and Sunderland manage it from there. Really good Tony Mowbray performance, I thought. Yeah, crazy to think they lost 5-1 last week. What the hell was that all about? <laughs> Jack Clark was excellent on the left. I was impressed with Edouard Michu in the middle of the park. The defence kept Norwich at arm's length throughout. And a quick word for the legend that is Luko 9. The ball goes out for a goal kick. I think it was Christos Solis goes after it. And then 9 holds him off by giving him a big hug. Solis is trying to get him off and is getting very agitated. And then 9 gives him a little peck on the lips, which only infuriated Zolas <laughs> even more. He is 
the shithouse king of the championship into whether it's piggyback riding Alex Scott or snapping the Roma players during a friendly at the beginning of the season which led to him receiving the ire of Jose Mourinho it's a long time since we've had an expert in the dark arts as good as Luco 9 at championship level he is the modern day pantomime villain in Inti and to be fair to him, he's a bloody good player as well. He's been asked to play all across the back four this season, despite traditionally being a midfielder. And he's handled it superbly. His defensive stats are through the roof this season. Sunderland play some of the best football in the division. He's more than capable of fitting into that style, but he gives them a bit of balance as well. Because it's all well and good playing nice football. You need a bit of bite to you as well. And that's exactly what this legend of the game does. Um, Norwich, were, they, they blew hot and cold here, didn't they? The crowd were clearly getting very agitated throughout this one and very frustrated with how blunt they were. And they were very blunt, weren't they? And I do think that has been a theme quite recently for Norwich, Justin. You, you may look at that Millwall game from last week and say, well, they just scored three goals. But I mean, two came from deflections. And then the other one was from a moment of brilliance from Gabriel Sara, who's got them out of jail quite a few times in recent memory, Justin. I just think if you take Ga- the brilliance of Gabriel Sara out that team, then they're, they're not playing much better than they were under Dean Smith not too long ago. It's a weird one with Norwich because they're... they're... Well, they've, they've they've reeled me into a sense of yes, they can they can push on into that top six, and then they put out performances like this from from time to time, and they just sort of bring it back down to earth. You know, we've seen David Wagner's team, and we've seen a Dean Smith team come up quite often as well. Um, and yeah, I just think I look at the the lineup here: Adam Ida on the right hand side. It's just not exactly warming. If Max Harris is having a poor game as well, Norwich don't have any width. Um, I think Gene Ullis played relatively well and Hernandez was, was effective but I think largely the, the team was quite blunt going forward as you say um, yeah it's, again they're a team that they blow hot and cold um, and when you're trying to get into the playoffs you've got to be pretty consistent you've got to be pretty capable at managing games Norwich have as well in the last few home games conceded first which isn't going to be ideal when you've got a team like Sunderland who are capable of mixing the game up and they're, you know, they're not they're not a uh, not sluice are they they're, they're a very good team you give them a head start it's going to be very difficult to get back into it and they defended incredibly well Norwich had no answer for it um, and that was a disappointing thing and they failed to get the the, you know, the quality out of Sara and Nunez in, in this game and Hernandez as well so yeah disappointing all round um, but one they need to bounce back from because obviously there's no room for slipping up for the, for the race for the top six Goals from Andy Vyman and Alex Scott gave Bristol City a 2-0 win over Blackpool. Bristol City, much the better side here. Jerry Yates had a great chance in the first half, but not much else aside from that. A great goal by Andy Vyman. Only his second goal since August. He was one of the players of the season last season. Not the same this season, though. Must be a relief for him to get back on the score sheet, but a pretty disappointing season after the standards he set last year. I completely forgot. I didn't say I completely forgot about him. That would be rude. Um, yeah, I did completely forget about him. Actually, there's no other way of saying it. It's it's been a frustrating season for him. Um, I was surprised at that stat. To be honest with you, I just expected him to to have scored more. Bristol City have done okay without his contributions, but yeah, you expect a lot more from him. Um, but I think the likes of Mehmeti coming in and Sykes coming into form as well, it's going to take that pressure off him. Um, but yeah, you, you expect a lot more, and I think if you if he's in form. And, and scoring goals, then um, it's going well, to propel Bristol City even, even further forward. But there were some key moments in this game that really impressed me from Bristol City's perspective. They just lacked that 
killer instinct in front of goal, which probably explains why Vyman's not scored since August. Well, if they got all the goals that he had last season, Justin, maybe they would have finished in the top six. Maybe you would have been right all along, but alas, here we are. Yeah. <laughs> not my fault. It's not my fault. It's all Andy Vyman's fault. Thank you, Andy. There you go. Take, take it on the chin, Andy. Uh, just Bristol City's second win in seven. Justin, we talk about the relegation battle a lot in this show, and we say things like, oh, Birmingham could be in trouble or QPR might go down because they're really struggling. Well, that's only really a possibility if any of the bottom three actually get points on the board. Now, I think it's looking pretty certain that Huddersfield and Wigan will go down. Blackpool are the team I think could make it interesting, but one league win since October isn't encouraging for our hopes of having an interesting relegation battle, is it? Oh, it isn't. And I think the the annoying thing about, if I look at this game in isolation, they struggle to get those key players involved in the game. Josh Bowler was barely present. If you compare that to Bristol City, for example... They continuously attacked down the left-hand side. J.D. Silver added a really good element of width, whereas Mehmeti came inside and got in behind quite often. He got balls in across the box. Didn't see Josh Bowler do that very often. I think it was one occasion where him and Gabriel linked up. Gabriel put a cross in. Max O'Leary gathered it up. Really, really frustrating display from them going forwards again. I think Jerry Yates had that chance, didn't he, where the game could have changed in their favour at that point. Didn't didn't take it, and that's where Blackpool are at. They struggled to build on that. Um, and as soon as Bristol City scored, couldn't see them scoring to get back into it, to be honest with you. And for me, that's why they're more most likely to go down. If you get into that habit of not winning, it's hard to get back into it. And unfortunately, it's, it's just not looking likely. I thought the new signings would propel them back up to some good results, but that, that looks quite a way off at the moment. Uh, Blackpool's struggles can be summed up by the form of Jerry Yates. feels like a long time ago that he was top goal scorer in the division at one point. I remember at the time when he was scoring a lot of goals, he was getting linked with Premier League teams and it led <laughs> to me saying, hang on a minute, is this guy actually that good? And now here we are, no league goal since October. Mr. Sitter against Bristol City and his inability to find the net is one of the reasons why Blackpool are currently on course for a return to League One. He's getting chances, but his confidence is so far gone that I can't see a return to form on the horizon. And in even worse news now, Gary Medine's injured. It looks like he's injured and could be out for a while. That would leave Yates as their only out-and-out number nine. And that's a big problem when he is so low on confidence as he is. Final thing on this game. There was a moment where CJ Hamilton went to pick up the ball to take a quick throw in. The only issue is it hadn't gone out of play. So Bristol City took the free kick, went on to score. Unbelievable comedy at Ashton Gate. In a big game near the bottom of the table, Birmingham got just their third win since Christmas by beating Rotherham 2-0. What a strike by Raider Kadra. If the net wasn't there, he would have killed someone. He's absolutely blasted that. Uh, Worth saying, the second Birmingham goal came from a corner, which definitely last came off a Birmingham Mm. player as well. So a bit unlucky for Rotherham in that respect, but Birmingham deserved the win either way. And this is much better than what we've seen recently. Well, exactly. They had that quality that they've been lacking in that final third. You look at that Kadra goal, that's the difference, isn't it? You take your chance, like I say you take your chance, it's an absolute wallop and a beautiful strike, but that's the quality they've been missing. It's what we've been craving for so long. I think there was a there was a, a moment where Scott Hogan was bearing down on goal, one-on-one with the keeper, and he, and he fails to take the uh, he fails to take the chance, he fails to gamble, and the keeper gathers it quite easily. Um, but you look at that Kadra goal, it's a fine line. It's a fine line with Birmingham at the moment. Um, but this hopefully should be, um, again, a catalyst for them to, 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 to build upon. It should be. I mean, they, they beat West Brom not too long ago, didn't they? They 
comfortably beat West Brom not too long ago. Um, but they went on another poor, poor run of form. Um, so hopefully this is the, I say, a, a bit of a turning point for them because they've got quality in the team. They just need to show it on a more regular basis. That's why I think they've got no chance of being pulled into a relegation battle, and that's why I think they they have the capability to have a strong finish at the end of the season because they've got quality on the pitch. They just don't display it very often, and that's you know saying something because as I say, they've got that midfield that they've got. They've got a good selection of attackers. Just need more from them. But they're in a relegation battle, Justin. I think you mean in terms of going down. I think that's what you mean. Is it a battle though? If they're what six, seven, eight points ahead of the bottom three, they've been, they've been fighting to stay up for the past few weeks. So I think I think your definition mm. of a relegation battle is a bit different to what everyone else's yeah. is. But it leaves Birmingham ten points clear of the bottom three. Honestly, the teams down there are struggling for wins so much that just one win leaves everything looking very rosy. Rotherham had picked up prior to this one, so a disappointing loss for them. They've got two home games before the international break. Preston before a huge game against Cardiff, and then Hull. Got to make the most of those games. Uh, Blackburn suffered a blow to their playoff hopes after being beaten 3-2 away at Stoke. Stoke were 3-0 up until the last few minutes, but managed to survive a late Blackburn fight back. They were excellent before that, though. Keanu Hoiver got two here. He never scored a league goal prior to this. Like bloody buses, those goals are. What an assist by Josh Laron as well. He's out on the left-hand side. Dribbles past three players before playing the pass into the box. If Messi did that, etc, etc. Uh, Blackburn fans will be annoyed if we don't mention a penalty shout they had. I think it was against Dwight Gale. It was, mm-hmm. it was pretty stone wall. It was a handball where he's basically <laughs> chucked out an arm and punched it away. And uh, nothing was given. So, yeah, not sure about that one. But having said that, for 85 minutes, Stoke were brilliant. And have finally found a bit of consistency. It's only taken them three quarters of the season to do so. They're safe now and can start planning for next season. How do you think they will do next season, Justin? My, my thinking is that they've got a good squad anyway. They had a good squad at the start of this season. They had a good squad at the start of last season. They should have been in and around competing for that top six. They weren't for whatever reason. Uh, and they haven't been for whatever reason this season. Um, so as I said, they've certainly got the quality to do it. Um, they still need a lot more balance in their squad. They still need a lot more quality. But if they can retain Ben Pearson, for example, I think Ben Pearson is the key here is he adds a lot of bite that's been missing in that midfield for a long time. It's allowed Josh Laurent to be a little bit more expressive. We've, we're seeing that. Um, and it's allowed other players to to thrive as well in that in that in in the middle of the park. Um, so I think retaining him is going to be key. If they can retain him, I would find him to be at least top half at the very least, um, and maybe even top 10. Um, but as I say, I've got faith in Alex Neal. I think he's a very good manager, one of the best at this level. Um, and if they can get the recruitment right, which has been the key thing for Stoke for a long time, if they can get, get the recruitment right, um, then they will be a good team next season. I've backed Stoke for a lot of seasons. It's just this one, I didn't, uh, and for good reason. Um, but under Alex Neal and in this form that they're in, if they can maintain it and put it through into next season, they'll be very, very well set for a top six push. This ends a five-game winning run for Blackburn. Wasn't a great showing bar the final few minutes. They're still fifth in the championship with a three-point cushion on the teams outside. An Andreas Vogelshammer penalty gave Millwall a 1-0 win away at Reading. This game was dreadful. I would go as far to say it was the worst game of the season. The penalty was the only <laughs> shot on target. The main highlight was Andy Cavill and Charlie Cresswell just battering each other at yeah. headers every time it came towards him. It was like two deer during falling season. Uh, but a great win for Millwall, whose away form continues to be very good after it was very bad before. Uh, there had been reports this Sunday of Paul Ince being replaced by Reading legend Graham Murty. Pressure has been building on Ince after winning just eight points from a possible 33 since the turn of the year. 
I don't really see the point in sacking Ince. And this is coming from one of the guys who ranked him as the worst manager in the championship at the beginning of the season. His football's rubbish and results haven't been great recently. However, you've got to remember that very few people fancied Reading to stay up this season. And if they do stay up with the squad he's got, he's done a very good job. It's the typical thing, isn't it? If you turn the results on their head and he started badly and then picked up and stayed up, you won't hear anywhere near as many complaints. But because they started well, it makes things look bad. Now, if Reading were a club on the up, I can understand them sacking Ince and getting someone else who suits them more long term. But they're not on the up. They'll be fighting to survive again next season if they stay up. So you may as well keep the manager who's presumably already kept you up once this season so or twice in that for a matter of a fact I mean I know Gray Murty's a Reading legend but he, it's not exactly like he's a managerial genius who's going to get them into the top six is it so I, I wouldn't see the point in sacking him Justin personally I, I agree with you to an extent um, I praised him it's not too long ago and I do think he deserves praise for where he's guided Reading now but they're getting to a point where Things are getting precarious and as a board, I'd be looking at that and thinking maybe a change in manager will spark the team into life. Because remember, football is incredibly fickle. Whether you're a supporter, whether you're an owner, you will go with what you think is best at that moment. And maybe in three games time, when perhaps when Reading do get that six-point reduction and they've lost three games on the bounce after this point and they're hovering two points above the relegation zone that the owners might go actually right let's change let's try and get a, that feel good factor for the last few games of the season and go again that's the situation I can see happening I wouldn't agree with it because I do agree with you I think changing it now would risk upsetting what has been a very close-knit well put together squad by Paul Ince but at the same time it's if you're basing it on results and performances he's he's on a he's on a fine line Preston 2, Cardiff 0. Cardiff have had two goalkeepers sent off in two games. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. This was a meeting of the two lowest scoring sides in the division, so this game could have been a lot worse than it was. It was all right. I've heard a few murmurs about Preston still being a contender for the playoffs. No, I can't get behind nope, nope, that nope. myself, Justin. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, sadly, they just don't have enough consistently going forwards. Um, I think... I think a lot of people can get carried away with back-to-back home wins, especially with Preston not doing it very often this season. They are an OK side. OK sides don't normally get in the playoffs. That's as simple as you get. Um, that being said, if they can have a late flurry and generate consistency towards it, well, now, between now and the end of the season, then certainly they, they put themselves in contention, but they've got to have a perfect end of the season to do it. And, I don't I don't think this presence side's capable of doing that. No, I completely agree with that. It needs a lot of strengthening for them to do anything this season or next season, for that matter. Uh, Cardiff, meanwhile, continue to look over their shoulder. They're 21st, although technically 20th with Reading's points deduction. They've got some huge games coming up. And then finally, Coventry 1, Hall 1. What a finish by Oscar Estepinion from the edge of the box. Coventry really could have done with winning this one. The extra two points would have put them level on points with Norwich in seventh, which would have been massive. Matty Godden had a good chance in the second half, and that might be a moment where they look back and say, that's cost us, because that was as close as it got, really, for Coventry after uh, the other goal went in. Right, now it's time for this.
Yes, it's time for the news. And Wigan Athletic have admitted another delay in paying wages. They say they're addressing the issue and will ensure wage payments are made promptly going forward. It went on to say the club has been disrupted by recent liquidity issues. Liquidity issues, I should say. And this continues to be the case. The EFL says it's aware of the current situation. This means it's expected Wigan will get a three-point deduction after they were given a suspended points deduction not long ago for failing to pay wages. The club hierarchy have said that this is all in hand. But questions have got to be asked right if a club fails to pay its wages on time more than once in a season. Is it all in hand if it's happened three times in a season? I don't think it is. That makes me that stresses me out. It worries me. It gives makes me very anxious, especially recent history of a lot of clubs. Um, and then to bury the the statement from the club at twelve midnight on a, a Saturday as well. I think just goes to show that the club weren't yeah, didn't want to be really transparent, which is a massive shame as well for the for the supporters. Um, I think supporters, especially if supporters who um, who have been through what Wigan fans have been through in recent years, they deserve a lot more. They deserve a lot more communication and trans- transparency. Um, and they, I don't think they're getting that, and that's disappointing. But yeah, I think the three points, three point deduction makes sense. Um, and I just hope that things get sorted very, very quickly because, yeah, it's it's not a situation anyone wants to be in. Well, Wigan's board can tell us all they want that we shouldn't be worried about their financial situation, but it's hard to trust them after. They've said that before, that the wages won't be paid late, and they have been. They can come up with as many excuses as they want, but no other championship team has paid wages late this season, and Wigan have done it multiple times now. There's simply no excuse for it with you know modern banking, and if there is a problem, you find a way around it, don't you? Find the money from elsewhere, and that's not happened with Wigan. So I would be very concerned about what's going on behind the scenes. They look destined to be in League One next season and could very well be facing a repeat of the financial issues they faced a few seasons ago because I, I, I'm i very concerned about what's uh, all, well, all the noise that's coming out as, uh, of, uh, of the DW Stadium. Now, the Eye is reporting the EFL will review the transfer of Hassan Kamara from Watford to Udinese to ensure the fee was not inflated. He moved to Watford from Nice for just over £3.5 million in January last year. He was then sold for more than four times that amount just eight months later to Udinese, which is also owned by the Pozzo family. Rival clubs are said to be concerned that the move was done to get around financial regulations and gives Watford an unfair advantage. Watford say it's normal for the EFL to examine all moves that's, and, and that the move was independently valued in Italy. It'll be interesting to see if anything comes of that one. Now, in injury news, Sunderland defender Adi Elise has been ruled out for the rest of the season with a thigh injury. The 22-year-old limped off during the game against Stoke. They've had a few season-ending injuries, haven't they, old Sunderland? Yeah, they've been very unfortunate, haven't they? Um, and Elise has been, when he's been fit, he's been really good. And that's the disappointing thing. As he's a young player and he's been ruled out for the season. But um, yeah, it's, it's a strange thing, isn't it, that the amount of injuries they've, they've, they've suffered so far. Um, and you just hope that they can get those players back fit in um, in the summer and go again because you do think that if they had those players fit throughout the duration of this season, where could Sunderland be right now? Um, I know it's a lot of ifs, buts and maybes, but you can't help it. It's a human thing to do, isn't it? 
Norwich have banned three fans from home and away games following a pyrotechnic incident during their win at Millwall. The trio were arrested by police and an FA investigation has begun into the behaviour of Canary supporters. A club statement said it could result in a substantial fine or restrictions on fans attending future fixtures. Speaking of Norwich, their set-piece coach Alan Russell has left the club. He was Gareth Southgate's attacking coach with England and looks a lot like Rob Edwards. The club say he's going to pursue other opportunities. I think I heard that he's looking to become a manager which would be interesting to see and finally NFL legend JJ Watt has been in Burnley reportedly to discuss investing in the club he was at the game yesterday you're an NFL fan Justin what's Watt like he was uh, I can't remember what the position's called <laughs> you say I'm an NFL fan I'm a <laughs> passive NFL fan I did follow the Cardinals and he just retired um, yeah he's a nice guy I think yeah but I don't know why I'd invest in football don't invest in football you lose all your money that's it isn't it that's football. You just lose all your I'm not sure that's always true, Justin. If uh, mm. Burnley are going to be in the Premier League next season, then it makes sense, doesn't it? Oh, I still think you lose all your money. You know, you, you might get the Premier League. I don't know how you... Do you only make money when you sell? I don't know. I just wouldn't invest in a football club. I'd invest in, I don't know, solar energy or something. I mean... If there was no reason to invest in a football club, no one would do it. So I'm not sure I'd take business advice from yourself. Um, I know very little about NFL. How are the Packers doing? Uh, well, the season's finished. The Super Bowl was a month ago. That's that's a very good point. How were they doing? <laughs> uh, I don't think they got... I don't know. I don't know. I, I watched the Super Bowl and that was it. I didn't do it. I didn't have any involvement this year. This yeah. NFL conversation has been drab. Yeah, I'm sure there are plenty of NFL fans who are really annoyed at us right now. Uh, I'm The Packers are my team, but I don't know much about them. I know Rogers plays for them, and he's quite good. Uh, but apart from that, uh, does he play for them anymore? I don't know. Jesus. This has been a disaster. Let's do the polls, Justin. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. Firstly, who's going up automatically? Sheffield United, Middlesbrough or Luton? I'd just say Luton because I'm on the fence with Sheffield United and Middlesbrough, so I'd rather just avoid that debate altogether and just say Luton. Oh, you change your mind so quickly, <laughs> don't you? 64% of people said Middlesbrough. That's what I'd say. 26% of people said Sheffield United. 10% said Luton. Is the bottom three staying as it is? Yes or no? I mean, they might change between themselves, but yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm struggling to see any different at the moment, so I've got to say. 83% of people said yes, 17% said no. And finally, what's the better set of Tom Cruise films, Mission Impossible or Top Gun? Uh, I don't rate either of those franchises, to be honest with you. I watched Jerry Maguire on the flight to um, to Mexico and I really enjoyed it, so I'd, I'll say that, even though it's not a set of films. <laughs> you watched a Maverick? I haven't, no, I don't have any care for it. I tell you what, I, I hadn't watched Top Gun until I went to New Zealand, watched both Top Gun and Top Gun Maverick on that. Maverick is exceptional. The last 30 minutes are the best bit of film I think I've seen in a long time. Um, just, so I'd say Top Gun. I, just, I was going to say, I just don't get Top Gun because who are they fighting? Who are they scrapping with? Bloody Russians. <laughs> Damn Russians. I can't actually remember who they fought in Maverick. Actually, I think they were going to do the Russians, but then they didn't say because of obviously being a bit tense right now. Um, but there you go. 56% of people said Top Gun. 44% said Mission Impossible. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here.
Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Someone asked Justin to name eight of a certain subject. All he's got to do is name all eight. So, for example, if I were to say name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs and he would say Villa, that's one down, and then Newcastle, that's another down. But if Justin would say Weymouth, then he'd be out. So all he needs to do is give me all eight answers. Justin, this week, Simon Grayson is giving you three lives on this one, so you can afford to get two wrong. Happy with that? Yeah, yeah, I'm happy with that. Don't really mean anything until you find out what the question is anyway, does it? Since 2007, there have been eight players nominated for the Ballon d'Or who have played in the Football League prior to being nominated. Can you name them? No. Basically, just name some very, very good players. That have, yeah, but they've had to have played in the Football League, right? Yeah. A, a clue, because otherwise you may be thinking about it too much. You've got to think before, like... We're talking 90s Football League as well. Oh, I was born in the 90s. God. Yes, but you still know these players have played in the Football League, so don't give well, me all that. Come on, Nathan, give me Nathan someone. Nathan's never been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. He should have after that Wigan season, but he's never been nominated for the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> um, Robert Prozanecki. No, right. I've played in the Football League prior to being nominated. I'll let you off with that one because that was a sh- that was an awful shout. So they <laughs> they played in the football league, then been nominated for the Ballon d'Or a few years down the line. It's not that difficult. Yeah, but surely Prozanecki is a good shout then. No, since two thousand and seven. Oh, since two thousand and seven. Okay, flipping egg. <laughs> uh, John Terry. Yes, John Terry is one, last nominated in 2009 and, of course, once turned out for Nottingham Forest in the second tier. He's also the only player on this list who's since played in the Football League. So there you go. Yeah. Uh, John Terry is correct, so that's one down. Frank Lampard. Yep, got his last nomination in 2009 and was once on loan at Swansea when they were in the third tier. So that is another down. you got two so far, Justin, six to go. G. Bale, Gareth Bale. Yes, arguably the greatest player ever to begin his career in the AFL after starting off at Southampton. He's had five nominations. Uh, that's three. Five to go. Frank Lampard. You've already said Frank Lampard. You've... This is what I mean about ADHD. <laughs> uh, I don't know who I was going to say. Other than... I don't know who else I was going to say then. Um... There were quite a few recent ones. I don't think Aaron Ramsey was ever nominated for the Ballon d'Or, but I'll shout at him anyway. That's a fair shout, but it's incorrect. So you've yeah. lost one life. You've got two lives remaining. Harry Kane, surely. Yes. Numerous loan spells in the AFL and, of course, numerous Ballon d'Or nominations as well. So you're halfway there, Justin. Oh, God, this is quite a difficult one. Um, I'm trying to think of... I feel like I've exhausted the English cohort now, an English and Welsh cohort. Definitely not Scottish, sorry. Um, Christ. I'll give you a clue. There are three English people in there. One foreign. Three English people in there. I'll say Jordan Pickford. I mean, it's not a great shout, but I can see where you're coming from. It's not correct. Uh, you've got one life remaining, Justin. <laughs> Halfway there. Um, 
so they played in the football league prior to being nominated. So it's not going to be Wayne Rooney, is it? No. Um, yeah, this is impossible. I I'll just gonna I'm just gonna throw a name in there. Kyle Walker. Not a terrible shout, but not correct. Um, so that means you have lost. You've fallen foul to Simon Grayson's hateful eight, Justin. The players you were looking for, Riyad Mahrez, came 12th in last year's Ballon d'Or. And easy to forget he played for Leicester when they were in the championships of that. In fact, he's the only foreign player who's played in the EFL prior to being nominated for the Ballon d'Or, as far as I'm aware. Um, another one, Mason Mount, nominated in 2012, mm. just a couple of years after playing for Derby in the championship. This one caught me off guard. Jamie Vardy. As far as I'm aware, the only non-league footballer, uh, only player who's played non-league football and been nominated for the Ballon d'Or, which happened in 2016, but also played for Leicester in the Championship as well. And then the final one you were looking for is Bex. David Beckham. Oh, yeah. Last nominated in 2007, once played for Preston in what is probably the most commonly peddled out trivia of all time that David Beckham once played for Preston. But there you go, Justin. Are you a bit disappointed now that you heard the answers? Yeah, I think I overthought that way too much. Um, yeah, way, way too much. I thought it was like top three nominees. No, 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 no. We're only looking for... They do that list of 30 yeah. players, don't they? So you just had to name someone who was quite good and played in the championship, which is uh, my kind of fell foul here I suppose but there we go ladies and gentlemen this has been Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight and this has been the Second Tier Podcast we'll be back again on Thursday to talk about a full round of midweek fixtures coming up as we head towards the business end of the season and we look forward to bloody seeing you then this has been the Second Tier Pod I've been Ryan Dilks I've been Justin Peach and a big big thank you for listening Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.